Hi, everybody. This is Christian Thwaites and Rita Lee of, uh, of Brown Janikowski. Welcome to our conference call. Um, it's 1 o'clock uh, Pacific time on Tuesday. Well, um, I am eating a little bit of crow here because when I was asked for the title about a week ago, uh, 10 days ago, I put why the market is not interested in trade. Uh, and um, at that point, the market was, busy, was being pretty sanguine about the trade uh, conflicts, starting with the EU and then obviously moving over to China and Canada and back again. But obviously, uh, this week, we've seen uh, kind of uh, that, that the trade has risen to the forefront, and I'm inclined to uh, eat my words. Uh, but I'll explain what I think is going on and why... Um, in balance, this is unsettling, but I don't think it's uh, presaging anything dramatic or climatic uh, in the current market cycle. So uh, perhaps not as uh, more important than what we thought of in the, in the title about a week ago, 10 days ago, and, uh, but, but not quite as dire as some of the lead commentators are making. And uh, you know, this is kind of what happens in this cycle of the market. We, we get sort of underlying good news from things like the economy, which is rocketing along pretty well, a little bit too much, if anything. Uh, good news from the Fed, all sort of quiet on that front. Good numbers uh, on retail, industrial production, today housing, all that's going well. Uh, and in the background, we can get something which can be uh, quite disconcerting. And so that's where we are on, on the trade side. Um, so let me, if I, if I may, just sort of step back a little bit and, you know, to try and define what it is we're dealing with here. You know, for those of you that, uh, you know, many of you may know this, so I apologize in advance for the, you know, for what might be uh, um, duplicative information. But just so we understand, the U.S. in the world of large economies has a relatively small exposure to international markets. Um, that is because a lot of U.S. businesses have direct investments overseas. So those don't show up in export and import numbers. They show up in the current account. So if, uh, if, if General Electric, to take a silly example, has a plant in Germany, which they do, uh, that won't, and, and they sell all over Europe, those will show up in those export and import numbers. And if they decide to repatriate some of those profits back at the end of the year, that shows up in the current account. Um, also, what gets talked about with the U.S. trade is trade in goods. So this is physical goods moving across borders. And a large part of the U.S. trade uh, in goods is not finished parts. Yes, you know, a Boeing leaving Seattle and being delivered to Qatar is very much, uh, you know, traditional moving goods uh, on a very large scale with very large numbers. But a lot, of, a lot of the U.S. trade is intermediate goods, so you might get a brake part coming from Mexico into, into the U.S. and being assembled in Alabama. Um, and a lot of the Chinese uh, uh, trade in goods is actually intermediate uh, goods. So um, those are a little bit more of a concern because we'll cover in a minute. Those start affecting in, uh, international supply chains and gets manufacturers very upset. But... Uh, in, so, so what, everything that's being talked about is the uh, $800 billion, roughly, uh, deficit in goods. But we have a gigantic surplus in services. Um, and a good example here was when, uh, you know, uh, the Trump was castigating Trudeau for having this big trade surplus uh, in goods. That is true, but 
Canadians visit America in large numbers. Uh, airlines fly to Canada in very, U.S. airlines fly to Canada in large numbers. U.S. lawyers operate in 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 Canada in large numbers. You can think of just dozens of services which uh, which, which which trade across border and add those all up, and guess what? We have a trade surplus uh, with with China because of the services side. But hey, we're not in for uh, we're not talking about. Uh, detail here. This is not an administration which um, which which sort of relishes detail and nuance. So we are, uh, you know, the, the the big number that is being uh, thrown around is the 807 billion. That tends to get rounded up quite a lot to a trillion for some reason. And the uh, uh, the, the 500 billion dollar uh, deficit with uh, with China, which actually comes down to about 370 billion once you factor in the services side. But anyway, that's what we're talking about. And Roughly, exports um, are 2.2 trillion on a 20 trillion dollar economy. Imports are about 2.7 on a 20 trillion dollar economy. So, uh, and our, and our deficit is about 2.7 percent of GDP. So, it's it, it's a big number. But if you look at countries like uh, Japan and China and Germany, those export numbers are much bigger. So, that's just a long-winded way of saying exports are important but not as important as uh, direct overseas as well as the uh, direct ownership overseas as well as the services side. So with that out of the way, I think the big uh, things that ha have come up recently is, uh, you know, kick we kicked off back in uh, April, I think, uh, Rita, with, with steel. And that was the first one that got everyone's attention. That's an intermediate group. That's going to upset a lot of people. But actually, the number wasn't that big. It, it, you know, if you, if you kind of looked at it and broke it all down, uh, I think it was you know, 20 percent on uh, 60 billion dollars, and uh, and yes, it has gone to um, some of the allies, you know, the uh, Canada and, and the EU, which which were given a pardon for a while. But you know, worst case, it's about 10 billion dollars of extra cost in steel. But uh, I think a lot of that will get made up by domestic uh, domestic supply. Then we kind of rolled into the EU, of which the most important one is cars. And uh, again, uh, really, the, the, the headline here is um, the U.S. has a car, uh, import tariffs on cars about 2.5%, and the EU has them on 10% for, for U.S. cars. There's a couple of things here. Um, it, it, the, the U.S. has 25% tariffs on SUVs. They don't talk about that a lot. And every every truck, every BMW SVU you see, uh, or, or Porsche, or all the way down to a Ford one F-150 is considered a truck. And those have massive import duties on them for historical reasons, which I'm happy to go into later on. Um, but so, so the, and cars are actually only about 20% uh, of the US vehicles sold. So again, it, it's a good headline. Um, but all things being equal, if those duties are slapped on, then it's going to make uh, imports of, uh, of particularly European-made cars, because a lot of the Japanese ones are assembled here, uh, the SUVs from the old Volkswagen and Toyota, they're all assembled here, will be subject to that, uh, that higher tariff. Um, and the problem with the EU is that they cannot, they cannot go down to 2.5% because uh, they're a multi multilateral organization. They would ha they would have to reduce their car import tariffs two and a half percent to everybody, including India and, and China, and that would basically kill off the, uh, the the European car industry. So that one we're kind of waiting for 
you know, there's a bit of a standoff going on with that, and we have to kind of keep that in our mind. Uh, the, the China, uh, well, actually, before I get to China, it's a bit more complicated. We've got NAFTA, and um, the NAFTA uh, deals were going pretty well. They're not going well now. Funnily enough, they were going quite well when Jared was in charge, uh, but now it's split up between Navarro and Ross and, uh, and Mnuchin, and, and, and so those don't seem to be going very well. We've got a sort of a Mexican election next, ma next month, yeah. which is almost certainly likely to trigger a slightly harder stance on the position of NAFTA. So I think we have to watch out for NAFTA as well, um, and that really affects uh, some of these cars and production lines uh, very, very much. Okay, so now China, which has hit the headlines a lot. This, this again, gets a little complicated. So last Friday, the um, uh, U.S. Trade Representative, not the Department of Commerce, but the Trade Representative, announced $50 billion worth of goods would be subject to 25% tariffs. So it's actually $12.5 billion of extra costs. And if you're interested, so go to, it's actually 1,100 products, of, of which uh, some of them are pretty obscure, and there are a lot of them are you know, very intermediate goods, and they're not sort of things that we use every day. Um, I'll summarize it a little bit. Yes. Um, so there are aerospace, lots and lots, all kinds of industrial machinery, and uh, printers and copier parts, batteries, medical devices, and trains and trail parts, large vehicles, and some helicopters, airplanes, and spacecraft. Not some, not the things that we use every day. Yeah, I looked at some of these, Rita, and uh, 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 you know, needle roller bearings. Yeah. I'm not sure about those. Electric generating sets, knee soy. I don't even know what those are. But, um, but there's a lot of things which I think um, we don't hear about. They won't be headline grabbing, but I think there'll be a lot of companies will be looking at those supply chains, don't you think, and, yeah. and be worried about it. Yeah, intermediary. So China, of course, then came back and said, well, we can play that game too. So you know, they're, they're raising tariffs, a number yet to be determined. They don't play all their hands straight away on $50 billion worth of goods. And I think the betting, and this isn't a particularly uh, 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 original thought, will hit all of the target states for the election. So you'll see agriculture. You'll see some of the uh, car manufacturers in the south. What else do you think? The whiskey, the yeah. cars. Uh, some of the automobiles, electrical, yep. yeah, those yep. are the major ones. So those are to come. And then, of course, the second round, the, the, then, now we're tit for tat for tit. And so now we're at uh, $200 billion of, of, of a further set of goods. We don't know what those are yet. Um, and there's a big tax of 20, uh, 10%. So we're looking at possibly $32 billion. So, okay, that's kind of where we are. Um, so I think it goes steel, EU cars, in order to give priority, the China tit for tat, because of its, its very complex effect on the production and uh, uh, supply chains uh, of the U.S., uh, and then NAFTA. Um, and I'd say, in order of importance, uh, China, because of its uh, sort of uh, its effect on, you know, because the businesses just don't know how it's all going to play out. And I think the tit for tat is get, getting people stressed out. Exactly. And then I think NAFTA will be slightly bigger, but I'm slightly more hopeful on NAFTA uh, because I think if that gets to an impasse, I think there'll be a lot of major, you know, delegates and uh, um, uh, lobbyists hitting hitting uh, hitting the White House and saying this is really going to hurt us. Um, and then I would say the steel uh, uh, and the EU sort of slightly behind that, just because import substitution can do pretty well for the EU. 
so that's kind of where we are. And I think what's happened with with the market, it was fairly sanguine at first because if you did chop down the numbers like we did, you didn't get a huge numbers. You know, the first steel ones, you arrived at $20 billion. Even if that was all passed on, you're talking about less than uh, 10 basis points of GDP growth, and it, and it wouldn't get all passed on. So really, you're dealing in, in rounding errors. Uh, and even now, the numbers are not necessarily big, but I think it's more the, uh, the, the, the concern and the and the sort of you know rumblings between what were uh, before sort of fairly placid and uh, agreeable allies. Um, so those are the sort of big effects. So what's happening? Well, I think uh, what happens typically in a trade deal is that you know first chapter is typically you get higher prices to importers, and then the second chapter is those importers will do one or two things, or actually one or three things. So either pass along those extra expenses in prices, or they'll take some margin compression, or they'll take a combination of three, of the two. So the, I, I, so some people are concerned about the inflation effects. I, I'm a little less concerned about the inflation effects. What I think it will mean if they do take the margin compression route is that you just will not see wages increase. And, uh, that's an easy door to push on because wages haven't been increasing very much anyway. So I think you know, the two, two and a half percent increase in average hourly earnings we've seen over the last year, which is only just a sniff above CPI anyway, will just uh, will, 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 will get tightened up. So, the, um, so those are the kind of first chapters. And what do they mean? Well, I think it actually is it's, it, the first reaction is it's been quite good for treasuries uh, and treasuries have come in about – 10 basis points. So if you were holding a 10-year treasury, that would mean about uh, um, uh, a 1% increase in the price of your treasury. Um, and on the stock side, I think uh, you know, certainly this, this feeling that it's a, it's a rather dangerous game and you know, which, which companies are going to affect it by the supply chain. Uh, and I think some of they don't, they don't know because they don't know uh, it, you can't go through a hundred, a thousand line items of exports and figure out which ones are in your supply chain. It's just, uh, it's just, it's just not going to be that easy. As anecdotal evidence, I was getting a quote on some, on some, some bookshelves at home, and the guy up in Marin said, uh, "Well, we can't. We're not using the Chinese um, maple, I think." Uh, oh, okay. So the price went up like ten percent. So I said, "I think I'll keep the books on the floor instead." <laughs> so. Uh, so anyway, I think the, uh, in a, lot, a, lot of the, um, a lot of the companies are still kind of working out what it is. And I think what's happened this, this week is that you know, the markets have gone into a little bit of retreat. Some of the international markets have come off the boil a little bit. There's some profit-taking for sure going on here, and I think we're just in a period you know, of uncertainty. People are reassessing the risk because it's, it's not – many of these are unknown yet, and investors are reactive most likely. Um, the Chinese reactors, we, Christian and I were talking about this earlier. Uh, so the, the, the number one company, CTE, its shares fell over 20% in one day after the Congress revoked the, uh, the, the free play, sort of, um, set up by Trump. Um, and then uh, the Shanghai Composite today, after the $20 billion of Chinese tariffs, plunged close to 8%. This rattled um, Chinese retail investors a little bit. This is, uh, Christian, one of the very rare times where I've heard that Chinese retail investors not 
jumping on the bandwagon for bugger hunting. It's interesting. Is it institutional then? It's not yet. It's more retail. That's why I say it's more reactive. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Institutional tends to take in the risk and plan it out. Um, so we'll, we'll, I think that will come in the next few days and see whether people reposition. Yeah. Okay. So as far as our portfolio is concerned, um, you know, those of you who are clients know that we've been talking for a few weeks now about putting some protection on our emerging markets exposure. We'll continue to do that. Uh, through a structured note product, which uh, um, everyone hopefully will uh, will get will get some information on, um, and that I think will give us a little bit of protection uh, for for what might be a, a difficult a difficult summer. I think on the uh, large cap international, we will we'll maintain that exposure. Obviously, it's come down a little bit, but it's actually held up quite well. Um, and I think what will happen there is. These are economies that I think can adapt pretty well if the U.S. tightens its trade. Um, they can either build plants directly here, which is kind of probably what the administration would like to have happen, or they can start building uh, their own uh, export markets with, um, you know, between each other. Um, bottom line, this is just not a good policy. Uh, I mean, uh, it's, it's, that's pretty clear, but there's a base to be uh, – uh, to be reasoned with and to, and to be uh, addressed, you know, prior to the elections, there are some relatively easy headline wins uh, for the administration in here. Um, but I think uh, we're not quite as cataclysmic as, as some of the headlines. It, it, it's not good, but this is not um, a, 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 a visit back to the kind of protectionism of the 30s and 40s where, you know, tariffs were in triple digits and often case. Right. You know, it's just a reversal. Of, it's not just, I don't mean to underplay it. The reversal of the trend, which has been going on for three decades now, of gradually lower tariffs. And uh, there'll be some adaptations to it, and I think there'll be some short-term hiccups in it. But I can't see at this point where it's uh, likely to uh, derail the U.S. economy, which is going to have a tremendously strong quarter. Um, I, I um, that's what my sort of you know, my comments and Rita and I are happy to take questions. Uh, we're going to unmute everybody and uh, if you have a question, please feel free to just. Uh, um, I'm watching the unmute as it happens. Uh, um, to just uh, call right out over the uh, over the phone. I'm I'm going to keep silent for a second or two and and if you want to ask a question, please feel free. Question. Yes. A question. Yes. Here's a question. What What's your reaction to the Federal Reserve's actions, and what What do you see on interest rates? Yes. Um, so we got we got last week the second of the almost certainly to be three and possibly four uh, hikes in the federal funds rate this year, and on balance, uh, the these. The uh, likelihood of four rate hikes came came a little bit to the fore, and 
what we saw was, I, I think what was important, what was unimportant was the change in what they call the summary of economic predictions, the dot plots. That's a bottom-up uh, survey, and two guys basically raised their forecast for rates for this year by less than a quarter of a point. So that, that meant that was enough to push the median over the, over the, uh, over the line. Um, but I think more important is what Powell said. He's still saying that, you know, that it's a puzzle that wage increases are not coming through. Um, I think they're keeping their eye on second quarter GDP growth. That's very strong. Um, and I think, you know, and, and CPI is sort of behaving itself. Uh, core CPI is ticking up, but it's not aggressively over the 2% core number, which, which is what they're targeting. The headline number's a bit stronger, but that's uh, the base effect of things like the low cell phone charges and the low oil prices, lower oil prices from a year ago. Um, so I think we're sort of in for steady, steady increases, but what's really interesting, and the Fed is commenting on it now, is that the short-term rates, which is the only thing the Fed can control, are going up, but the long-term rate, they, could, they don't control anything from overnight out. <laughs> so, uh, you know, three months, yeah, they have some control. All the way out to 30 years, they have no control whatsoever. And, and, and the yield curve is flattening, and it's gone from the 10-year, two-year spread has gone from 150 basis points a year ago to six, 40, yeah, 70 at the beginning of the year to less than 40. That's, that's a, that's a, we can live with that, but I think it means that um, the Fed will be rather cautious about, you know, changing what they've said about rates, which is sort of incremental. Which makes um, short-term treasuries a lot more attractive. For sure. We've, uh, we've actually um, invested recently in the two-year treasuries, 2.5% as a duration of 1.5%. Uh, the 10-year is 2.9. So there you've got a 40 basis point spread. And as Rita said, that's a far more attractive place to be. It doesn't mean that we're going to crowd everything into the shorter end uh, of the bond market, but we're take probably a little take it where we can. <laughs> and actually, we're a little bit more worried about credit. I know some clients have called in asking about the level of uh, of borrowing in the U.S. Uh, by U.S. corporate sector, and it is high. And we're a little bit more worried about credit spreads uh, moving out. I hope that answers your question. But it was a it was a on marginally, slightly hawkish, but just by a very small amount than it was uh, back in March. Can another question? Yes. Uh, can you repeat what you stated previously about uh, emerging markets, number one? And number two, what is your view on how uh, this trade kerfuffle might affect um, mid-cap and small-cap. Okay. Let me take the second one uh, uh, first, because uh, we've been we've taken a position on that, and it's, it's worked out uh, pretty well from a performance side. So small companies uh, don't, have ne don't have anything like the exposure to foreign markets that large-cap does. So large-cap... Uh, the S&P 500 is roughly 40% of its earnings from overseas. For the, for the small cap universe, that number is low to mid-teens. So they just don't have the exposure. Uh, so if the dollar is strengthening, it doesn't really matter much to for them. And if they're enjoying 
the benefits of a 4% growth economy, it accrues right to them. They don't really get the uh, slowdown uh, or anything else or the trade, the trade problems. Secondly, if there is import substitution, in other words, uh, US, supply, US manufacturers turn to US companies uh, instead of their overseas suppliers, and that will benefit the, um, the, the, U, the US small cap. So we like US and small cap for a number of reasons, including that. Um, on the first one, I thought on emerging market is that um, there's, there's a few short-term risks in the market for sure. Uh, you know, the, the first hit on the trade talks is going to, is going to affect people like uh, China and Korea. And uh, the, the dollar strength is, is certainly not helping things at all. And so what we're trying to do is position a little bit of uh, downside protection. We do that do it using a structured note and uh, uh, writing some very out-of-the-money options. Um, so, so we provide some downside protection. So it's, it's one of those asset classes which we like longer term, but I think in the short term it's going to get uh, a little bit of – it's going to have some trading concerns uh, for those reasons plus uh, Mexico. Um, and the thing interesting about Mexico is it's not a very big weight in the emerging market stock index, but it is the only emerging market currency which trades in size. So what, what traders do is they use the peso as a proxy for emerging markets. And, uh, you know, sure for dollars, they're going to be hitting that hard over the next, uh, next uh, month or two. You read it, you, you, you follow emerging markets closer than I do. <laughs> well, I, I think um, opportunities are still there. Um, it's definitely a little bit more murky right now. Um, and I think China trades a lot uh, with the other Asia-Pacific countries, which is why they, there's a little bit of um, fear over there. But I think it'll calm down um, over time because um, the, the, the smaller countries um, uh, tend to be quite um, enterprising in terms of what they can do with China. Uh, Japan uh, just yesterday was uh, even talking about a new new round of rapprochement with China, which is un <laughs> which is new, <laughs> and it hasn't happened for many years. So I think they, they they will work out something. Yes, I agree. And Rita, you know, you and I were looking at this the other day. Emerging markets, small company, have mm -hmm. been doing really well because those guys are not affected by the trade. You know, so you're talking about local supermarkets and pharma manufacturers, you know, names that I've certainly never heard of. But they're doing really well because they're, they're really playing off the domestic economy. Consumers of their countries. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's where we use the active managers to kind of get that exposure. So that, that again, is another reason why we're not sort of, uh, you know, advocating by any means an all-out uh, strategy. Good questions. Thank you. Well, thank you very much. I see we've gone over our allotted time. Um, please feel free to email uh, us, either Rita uh, or myself, uh, R. Lee at Brown Janikowski, BNJ Advisors, uh, or C. Waits at BNJ Advisors, or just call in on the general number. Be happy to uh, fill in where we might have been um, uh, unclear or if you need any further advice. Thank you very much. And I'm now going to read the disclosure. Please note the information provided in this presentation for general information purposes only should not be considered an individualized recommendation or personalized investment advice. Investment strategies discussed in this presentation may not be suitable for everyone. 
Each investor needs to review an investment strategy for his or her own particular situation before making an investment decision. All expressions of opinion on subject change without notice in reaction to shifting market or economic conditions. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. The opinions presented cannot be viewed as an indicator of future performance. Congratulations. The last two callers have actually listened to that disclosure. 